Welcome to the Days for Girls podcast, a show about breaking barriers for women and girls around the world. I'm your host, Jessica Williams, Chief Communications Officer at Days for Girls International. At Days for Girls, we believe in a world where periods are never a problem. We are on a mission to shatter the stigma and limitations associated with menstruation by increasing access to sustainable period products and menstrual health education for all people with periods. Today's episode is with Tara Costello. Tara is a writer and educator living in the United Kingdom who has been talking frankly and writing about menstruation for more than a decade. Her debut book, Red Moon Gang, An Inclusive Guide to Periods, is out now. In this conversation, we talked about a variety of things from menstruation to menopause and different diagnoses that women get and the challenges in the healthcare industry as it relates to women's health. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I disclosed a lot of personal information that I don't normally disclose. So I hope you find some comfort and maybe even a little inspiration in our stories. All right, let's go on to the show. I thought we could start out by talking about what inspired you to write the book. I know your journey in this work is really personal because um, I've read your book and you talk a lot about uh, your experience with menstruation and uh, your body. And so I was wondering if you could take us into that a little bit and uh, tell us the inspiration for the book. Yeah, sure. So thank you for your kind words about the book. It's really appreciated. And like you said, yeah, it is a real personal journey for me. I So I came, I came from a home where menstruation was always spoken about. Uh, I was really lucky to have um, parents that, you know, enabled these discussions and sat me down and taught me through it. So I was pretty prepared for my period when it did arrive. And I kind of just didn't really pay much attention to it um, from like ages of 11 till maybe like early late teens or till I I became sexually active it it always was pretty much just an inconvenience for me Um, I always knew they were going to be heavy and painful I remember I used to have to take time off school because they were just so bad and it wasn't until I became sexually active and I started using um hormonal contraception that I really started to notice a difference in my periods and I got to a point in my life where I didn't want to use these forms of contraception anymore so I I made the decision to come off them and I realized oh my god I have no idea like what my period is supposed to be like or what to expect coming off hormonal uh, contraception and it really just I don't know it just kind of inspired something in me I was I kind of just unearthed this fascination and passion for menstruation through that so around the time I was blogging and writing online and having these discussions and I realized that so many people go through the same thing and there's just so little info out there and I basically just started talking about my experiences trying to get my periods back to some kind of normal post pill basically and I found that I, I had a real knack for facilitating these discussions. And I, as I said, I, I turned out I was really passionate about this and the fact that we have no idea what to expect of our bodies. And it was just mind blowing to me. And I, I just sort of started researching, talking about it, talking to loads of doctors and professionals and 
I kind of carved out a niche writing about this stuff. And then a few years later, when I decided to close my blog, I realized I didn't want to give up my advocacy work because I was making a, a kind of a name for myself with talking about menstruation. And I realized that there was a real gap in the market for period talk that is accessible, inclusive, and also just free of shame-filled language. Like this periods don't have to be this embarrassing thing that we have to go through alone. And I just, I wanted to continue these discussions basically. And I've always wanted to write a book and yeah, the time was just right. And I thought, okay, yeah, let's do it. Well, congratulations. Writing a book is not easy and your book is packed of like full of information it's and it's got so many fun uh, illustrations in there as well so I know this took you a lot of time um I (laughs) I'm curious because um in your book you talk about the and you mentioned it just now as well that sometimes the ways that we talk about periods can be problematic like you said it can be full of shame and stigma and I'm a 40 year old woman and and honestly never really realized all the different until I started working at days for girls, all the different subtle ways that we integrate shame and stigma into our conversations about periods. So I'm wondering if you could give us some examples and, and take us more into that. Yeah. So I think it's something that is learned behavior. And I think a lot of us are first maybe introduced to periods maybe through parents or peers at school and unfortunately we are taught that you know it's this thing you have to keep secret and it's you know it's kind of gross it's dirty it's embarrassing and nobody should know that you're on your period and I I think that's probably the biggest um the biggest reason why so many of us grow up with this warped perception of periods I think a lot of us also inadvertently project our own embarrassment onto people and that's why I think it's so important to have these discussions absolutely I mean I can think of a lot of embarrassing stories that I have um, from my teenage years especially regarding my period Um, and they mostly involve the reactions of others yeah you know as it related to my period like they would see my blood and freak out and it would just create so much shame around that um and, yeah, and I think a lot of people have stories like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> we all do. And what is your kind of vision for girls and women regarding reducing that shame? I mean, what what would you like to see instead? I yeah, I would like to see, you know, the conversation move beyond, you know, periods are normal, they're not dirty. I feel like we have to spend so much time on normalizing this real basic concept that it's a natural bodily function that it kind of hinders us sometimes. It would be great to see the discussion just accepted as a normal bodily function that happens to a number of genders. And then we can focus on the real work, like, you know, making period products cheaper, making diagnosis times for conditions like endometriosis and PCOS a lot shorter, you know, funding research and just making the conversation a lot more accessible and inclusive of everyone. Absolutely. So 
can we talk about that a bit? So the subtitle for your book is an inclusive guide to period. So why is that, that piece, that inclusivity so important to you and how can people be more inclusive when they discuss menstruation? Menstruation, the topic of menstruation for me, it's very catered to a very specific kind of experience. It's often a young girl or a woman has a perfect 28-day cycle, no further complications, and, you know, things are good. But the reality is that's not that's not a reality for so many of us. You know, there's there's been multiple studies that show that the 28-day cycle is not only I think only one in three people experience it. Um, it's not just women and girls that menstruate. And I also think that being inclusive also means including the different kinds of experiences people have, as well as including people of all genders. You know, no two periods are the same. We all experience menstruation differently. And I think that's really important to highlight because so many people will look at information that's like, you have a 28-day cycle, And then they're like, oh, my God, I don't have that. What's wrong with me? And I think that, you know, we should be equipped with information before these things happen to us. You know, there's so many things that are normal with periods that we don't know about. So, for example, blood clots are totally normal and expected as long as they're um, not as large as a a large coin. But some people see them and just completely freak out because they have no idea what this is or what's happening. So I want to go back to something you said, because there might be some people listening and and being like, wait a minute, what? Um, And so I, I know it's a controversial topic, uh, but I'd love for you to just unpack your beliefs around it a little bit. You said that um, not just women and girls menstruate, and there might be some people out there that don't understand what you mean by that. So can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So, um, To cut a very long explanation short, uh, gender and sex are two different things. Uh, There are a lot of people with vaginas that are not women, essentially. And the conversation needs to include transgender men, non-binary people and intersex people, because the reality is anyone with a vagina can menstruate. I know one of the things that I know is also important to you and you mentioned in the book is that uh, people who menstruate internalize negative perceptions of menstruation. And can we talk about that a little bit? Like, what does that mean to you when you say people are internalizing those negative perceptions? Like, how does that play out in our lives? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that it plays out. And many of us don't realize that we've been internalizing these things. I One thing that really stuck with me is whenever I had to go see a doctor about something related to vaginal health my mum would always be like oh make sure you check your nippers so there's not any residue discharge um because it would be embarrassing if they saw that even though I'm seeing a doctor who you know has lots of experience of many bodily functions I assume and it wasn't until years later that I realized how ridiculous this was and obviously my mum meant no nothing mean by it it was just instilled in her and she passed it down to me and I think a lot of us grow up with similar experiences I think where periods have been such a taboo for so long we go by what little we're given for sure and I I think this plays out in all kinds of ways and one of the things that you talk about in your book or it's kind of like this consistent theme throughout your book is like uh, educating 
menstruators to advocate for themselves. So um, finding, you know, tracking things that are going on in their bodies, writing it down, researching it, advocating. And even in one of your chapters, you talk about like, sometimes if you're not taken seriously or, you know, your symptoms continue to go undiagnosed, it's important to like seek a specialist as an example. So is that something that you were taught uh, growing up is is to advocate for your health and to and to do that extra work that is required for women to get their needs met when it comes to their health. Kind of. So my mom was always really good at making sure we made a note of when our period started and ended, so we could try and get some sort of idea of our cycles. And anytime there was an issue related to periods or not, she'd always kind of be like, "Make sure you have all this info to hand when you go see a doctor." Um, but it wasn't until I sought out help for periods myself that I really started to realize, oh, okay, so I have to do all this extra work just to, you know, get a minute of your time to listen. Um, for context, I have polycystic ovary syndrome and it was pretty much ignored and undiagnosed for years. Um, when I actually decided to really push for a diagnosis it took me two years to get it and it's it's messed up because I consider myself one of the lucky ones in terms of length of how how long it took me to get a diagnosis I think a lot of people don't realize the importance of this until unfortunately they experience it with doctors, I think. Absolutely. I've had that experience in my own life. In fact, I'm going through it right now because I was recently diagnosed as perimenopausal, which is very yeah. early for my age, you know, and I, I'm, I'm struggling to get proper support. And so I'm having to go to all of these different specialists and keep track of all of this. And it's exhausting, right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's frustrating that we have to advocate so much for ourselves and it shouldn't be this way. But I think if we can equip people with this knowledge while they're in school until things get better, it can maybe help people. But I know in the UK, the healthcare system is quite different than the United States. So I'm curious uh, what the care is like there when it comes to women's health versus like in the United States, a lot of it's privatized. So is the care, do you find that the care is a little better that you, I mean, what's your experience been like? I mean, it's not as bad as it is in the U S in terms of, you know, you have to pay for everything. Like the NHS is really great. Um, even though it's underfunded, but I think my problem with period care in particular is that there's no way to become a specialist in some of these conditions so you know how some doctors will they want to specialize in something they seek out a fellowship and they have all this experience in a very and study the specific thing they want to specialize in there isn't really an equivalent to that for things like endometriosis and pcos and fibroids and i and because of that unfortunately we have doctors that can say they're specialists just because they've spoken to patients about these conditions when the reality is they don't have the knowledge or the experience to treat them. In terms of my experiences, um, again, I think it's very tame in comparison to some of the other people I've spoken to. But 
I've pretty much suffered with heavy periods all my life and I've been to see different doctors on and off about it when I've been pushed to try and find things out from either my family or my peers. And I've always kind of been told, I'll just lose some weight and then things will work itself out, um, which is unfortunately a very common experience here in the UK with people seeking help for periods. And uh, it wasn't until later I found a new doctor who actually did specialise in gynecological health and had like the experience and credentials to back it up. She basically explained to me that the previous doctors did the wrong tests and they didn't do tests at certain times. So when so once I finally found a doctor who knew what she was doing, the care was very good and I was impressed. And you know, she got me in for an ultrasound pretty promptly. But I wonder if I didn't have the knowledge I had, I, I could I probably would have just accepted what previous doctors have told me and then continued to struggle all my life. I think a lot of women do that. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I think you're right. And it's it's a really sad state of affairs because I think, you know, like you said, there needs to be more money devoted to research and um, the study of women's health and a lot of these conditions that are idiopathic which is like we don't really know what causes them (laughs) yeah especially for conditions where there's no cure and we have doctors out here saying that you know oh you know just have a baby or just have a hysterectomy and then it will get rid of your endometriosis and it's like one those are huge life-changing decisions and two it's not accurate you know many people have had endometriosis come back after hysterectomies so you know it is it is kind of dire, the, the the level of care we've got for those kind of conditions that really impact your daily life. Um, but in terms of general period health, I think it's slowly getting better. But again, I, I think it's really hard to find a doctor and stay with them. So the doctor that diagnosed me as PCOS, she's the best doctor I've seen in my entire life. And she's unfortunately moved away and I have no way of like talking to her anymore. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I know. I was like legit really upset. Um, yeah. I ha- had like a, a grieving period because she was just such a fantastic doctor. And I really, I've just felt so indebted to her for helping me get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And also it, it sucks that it's the onus is on the patient to seek out specialist care when really we should be having these referrals if doctors aren't comfortable enough or confident enough or if they don't have what it takes to diagnose as help, we shouldn't just be sending people away. We should be giving them the referrals. And I don't think that happens enough. I, I used to work in an OBGYN clinic many years okay. ago. I worked there for as a receptionist for like uh, three years while I was in graduate school. And I remember this, this woman coming in and she said, I feel like I'm in labor. And the doctor said, you're not in labor, like you're on birth control, you're on the IUD, go home, take some Advil and you'll be fine. You're just having period cramps. And she was on her way out the door and she passed out in the hallway and I called 911 and she had an ectopic pregnancy that had like was bleeding internally and had to have emergency surgery. Um, you know, but the doctor did not take her seriously when she was like, I feel like I'm in labor like this. I've had children before. This feels like labor. Something's wrong. And just go home and take a couple Advil. And I hear that all the time, you know? Um, yeah, so do I. <laughs> it, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, 
It is, yeah. A lot of people have to go to A&E over here for really bad period pain and still even there, they're not taken seriously enough. Mm. What's A&E? Oh, sorry. It's like, um, I guess, the emergency room. Oh, okay. People call it in the States, I think. Okay. And you, you you know, the diagnosis that you got, you said it was PCOS. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. What is that? I've never heard of that. Oh, so it is a condition where the, basically the ovaries aren't doing their job properly. And the, the three main symptoms that people most talk about is irregular period, acne, or an increase of hair due to androgens in excess of androgens and basically I I never thought I would have it even though I consider myself someone somewhat knowledgeable of this condition and because it turns out basically I do have it because the ultrasound showed that my ovaries were triple the size they should they should be and basically because we focus so heavily on these three main symptoms I think loads of people don't know they have it because I only had they say they diagnose you if you have um, at least two or three and I, I had one of three so that's that's why I, I it took me so long to get a diagnosis but basically it is a hormone disorder your ovaries aren't able to um, that basically it's like a buildup of follicles and they don't release so you don't ovulate your periods are late mm. it can impact lots of other things like insulin resistance your energy levels it's 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 hard I feel like it's not as intense as endometriosis so maybe that's why it doesn't get as much coverage but it is a very hard condition to live with it's something that impacts me every day of my cycle not just my period Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people are left to kind of figure things out on their own with it Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel the same way with this perimenopausal <clears throat> diagnosis. I feel like, okay, you're, you're perimenopausal. That's why you're tired all the time. Here's some birth control. Bye-bye. And I was like, yeah, um, so when it, yeah. When it comes <laughs> to perimenopausal and menopausal, there's just like, if we think the lack of support for periods is bad, it's like next to none for those two uh, later stages of life. Uh, I think we're only really starting to have a conversation about both of those. Yeah. It's, it was like you, I went through a a grieving period of several days where I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, I wasn't expecting to hear that at this age. And yeah, it kind of just blows your mind when you get that diagnosis, doesn't it? And you kind of sit with it for a bit and you're like, wow, okay. So my life is just going to look different now. And then it's taken me, I got my diagnosis, like, I think in 2019. And I guess I'm like over two years in and I'm still figuring out how to manage things because there's just not that support there. And you pretty much have to just try and manage yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to become an expert in it and, <laughs> you know, constantly study and research and journal yeah. about your body. And oh, there's a lot. And that's not always, you know, an accessible option to people. Um, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do this and I have a lot of knowledge and passion for the topic, but it shouldn't be that way for everyone. I'm happy to do that because this is like where my interests lie, but you know, not everyone has the time or resources or even interest to, to study all this. And 
you know, we should be equipping people with the information they need and the help they need. Absolutely. Well, I love that you've done that with your book. It's a real inspiration for women to take control of their health in general, I think, um, not just menstrual health, like because you you talk about so much related to women's health. So um, well done on that book. And um, I'm curious what's next for you. Um, you know, are you, you know, the Red Moon gang? I'm like, is there a gang? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, alongside the book, I run the educational website and, uh, you know, have like a, a very engaged audience on Instagram too. And just everyone I talk to, I just consider them part of the gang, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just continuing with my advocacy work. I've been focusing on talking about menstrual capitalism and the current state of the market. And in terms of future things that are coming, I'm hoping that there will be a second book. I have a few ideas in the works. But yeah, I just want to continue my advocacy work, continuing these really important conversations. And yeah, just continue to try and help people, basically. So if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, buy your book, where should they go? You can go to redmoongang.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Red Moon Gang. I have like a link tree in the bio for all these other places you can find me. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Tara, this has just been wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. The Days for Girls podcast is produced by Days for Girls International. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit daysforgirls.org forward slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. To learn more about Days for Girls and to join our global movement, please visit daysforgirls.org. Thank you for listening. See you next time.